Hello and welcome to Beyond the ANC's second Night Train special. The podcast that keeps on reaching for that rainbow. This time on the biggest show in piano pop podcasting, we'll be giving you our own guide to Night Train, from the opening drums of House Lights to the climax of My Shadow. Andrew and I will be giving you our highlights of the EP and telling you what to look out for when your copy arrives in a couple of weeks' time. So, if you want to hear all about what's in store on the EP, keep listening. It's time to lift the lid on the night train as we go Beyond the Iron Sea. On the shortest day of the year in 2009, with Christmas decorations up and snow falling outside, we received a gift. A gift from a jolly bearded fellow. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was in keeping with the traditions of the season, really. Definitely. Um, and that gift was a record, a record called Night Train, this year's biggest release from Keen. And, well, this is what we thought of it, based on hundreds of listens over the past five months, I reckon. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I, I don't know about you, Chris, but um, on the, the, the day that we actually received the record, because we, ha- we had to get that, that podcast out when we had Tim over... Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to do, because I, I, I can remember coming up to your house, um, and we finished off the podcast, and I went home, and the CD was on the side, and it was, it was such an odd feeling having the record there to play, that I, you know, I didn't sort of go straight away and rush to, to go and play it. Like opening your Christmas presents early, you didn't kind of want to ruin the magic. Yeah, almost. I mean, it sounds really weird, but I mean, you know, I, went, I made a cup of tea, and I eventually put it on, and it's, you know, the, the first track that burst into life is House Lights. Um, so we may as well start there and let's work through the record in 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 order i think that's the way you know that's what the record deserves don't you let's do that track by track Well, first of all, House Lights is a track that everybody will have heard already, um, which I, I found it, you know, almost sort of there's sort of some, you know, dark humour in the fact that when the video of Tom sitting there on his throne talking about the tracks and people have commented on that video saying, you know, oh, God, I can't wait to hear House Lights. And actually, everybody has heard it already because not only did they play it before the shows, but he was, it was also playing over Tom's, you know, Tom sitting there talking. It was playing in the background. Yeah, this is an instrumental, isn't it? Um, mm. You know, they've done instrumentals before. They've done, you know, Tidarian, the INC, but this is more of a sort of warm-up. Yeah, a thing. scene, sort of an intro, a scene setter. Um, I think really the best way of describing it. Obviously, I think people will have heard it, but it's a, it's a blend. Actually, this is what surprised me is that it's um, the intro to Black Burning Heart, the samples from the intro of Playing Along. It feels to me a little bit sort of you know thrown together. Um, and I think we we put this to Richard that you know it was you know it was perhaps not our our favourite track and he was you know you have to consider it part of the whole as a scene setter but you know it perhaps works but I think the there's this slow build through the track but it feels somehow sort of insubstantial yeah yeah I th- I th- there's quite a long ga- I don't know if it's just on the copy of the CD we've got but there's quite a long gap uh, before the next track kicks in so it it does almost feel like a, a separate piece rather than. You know, blending in the, the two tracks. If I can put it like this, it's like a gust of wind. <laughs> it's it's there, and then suddenly it's gone, and then you've got that stillness, and then you burst into the next thing. It's, I think, to be honest, the main reason for it being included, if I might say so, um, and this is just a, a guess on my part, but I think the main reason for it being included is that the the start of Back in Time is such a big bang mm. that you need something. You can't have track one as a big bang like that. You can't, you know set off an explosion like that yeah um i, th- I think the, you know you need uh, you need a little bit of a buffer and that's what you've got with house lights i think it's it's also a sort of photo montage in a way it's got like you said it's got the little samples from the other tracks and i, that, I think the idea you know with it being played live it's going to evoke some memories of you know those two tracks and the live set so this you know rather than the piece of music it's uh it's you know it's evocative it's very evocative as as a series of kind of samples. So, yeah, yeah. So that that's house lights really sort of set set the scene. Next track, as we mentioned, back in time. I 
Um, well, I mean, unfortunately, obviously, that you, you don't hear it there, but the intro is absolutely massive. Um, and where I, I listen to this um, at home in my living room, and I've got, you know, a couple of uh, quite big speakers, and you can turn them up quite loud, and mm-hmm. you go from the quite, um, you know, sort of quite, a slow build of the instrumental um, opener and it just hits you like right between the ears definitely I mean I'd compare this track mostly to Muse I guess that's the sort of thing that hit me it's got that kind of the huge huge sound that Muse are often associated with yeah I'd it it, it just sounds like if if you were aiming for something really big but I mean big and f- fat at the same time I don't know if that's fat with a PH or just fat with a standard F, you know, because it sounds like such a broad sounding synth to open with. Um, do you know what I mean? It's um, it's just like a great bass as well at the start. It's such a, like I said, a wide sound. Yeah, uh, Tom mentioned on the video, actually, that I think it was Richard was saying that uh, it sounds like a Bond theme. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's definitely got that drama and, uh, it, you know, it really grabs you. Cinematic. That's what, that's what I, I have written down here. Very... Mm you know, a very cinematic feel to it. And I think the, um, something that Tim's always, you know, we've, we've said this ever since we started doing the podcast, that if there is one thing that you could identify about Tim Rice Oxley's production and writing is that the vibe is absolutely critical. And there's a really big atmosphere in this track. Like, um, definitely a very vibey track Mm. that, yeah. I mean, we we said, you know, there's a lot of uh, style. What do you think about the substance? What do you think about it as a song? Well, funnily enough, I was thinking that it actually reminds me a lot more of the, st- the sort of style that they were aiming for when Dom was still in the band. Mm. Um, where yeah, I can see that, actually, yeah. The guitar's much more important than the piano. The piano's very low in the riff, if present at all. Mm. Um, and the, the drums are absolutely enormous, you know, with massive toms. And I think the, um, the, the perhaps downside is that the... The, the the exchange, if you like, is that I think the chorus feels ever so slightly undercooked. The, the the you know the lyrics are you know she goes back in time, she goes back in time. I I would compare this track if I was comparing it to a previous Keen song. I'd say it's a bit of a put it behind you. No, that's bollocks, Chris. I personally think it it sort of it has that kind of irregular phrasing, and I could I could see it dividing people and being maybe a bit of a slow burner no i I, th- I think you're absolutely and incontestably wrong that put it behind you with its part 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 sort of rhythm is a, a world away from this perhaps maybe lyrically is that where you're coming from not not so much lyrically but in in the way that it, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I don't want to put you off or anything i just think that's that's um underselling it certainly i think it's a lot better than that and i mean I, o- other thing i really wanted to say is that the outro is magnificent mm. yeah um but yeah <laughs> certainly i mean I've, I've said my piece about it. i think it's a i think it's a great second track it's huge perhaps it's m- more of a musical track than a lyrical track but i, I think it's a, a huge track definitely i, I do like the uh, sort of double vocals as well tim has quite an integral part in the backing vocals so it'd be good to see him pull that off live yeah i'd, I'd like to see that basically you know the uh, the, the to- tim backing tom as though he's running you know a step behind him is yeah. uh, it's great to to hear absolutely shall we uh shall we hear the single chris as if we haven't already so i guess i'm just a fiend consumed by the scene the stage and the screams where it's just me and king So, let's cast our minds back again to the first time we heard it. Yeah. Oh, 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 as the intro says it. Um, it's, a, it's, um, it's a big summer vibe. It's a, I don't know, I've, I felt like this, this theme sort of runs through the first sort of half of the EP, that it's a really sort of big sound. You mm. know, really, in terms of scope compared to um, Perfect Symmetry, it seems like there's a... Uh, an effort to make like a much bigger kind of sound. Do you know what I mean? 
It's quite in your face, isn't it? I mean, I think the production was uh, done by uh, Fraser T. Smith, who's been associated with quite a lot of sort of British urban acts recently, and also Kylie Minogue, and for a long time he worked with Craig David. So it's quite an unusual choice um, to sort of be involved in the production side of things. Yeah, I think the um, some of the criticisms that I've I've read of Stop for a Minute is... You know what? What probably the major one is the the drums are you know that quite cliched sort of like hip hop beat. It's boom, ch- boom. Well, ch- it's I think it's triggers. So basically, what they've done is recorded the drums and then fed it through uh, a trigger. So any time it sees you know a bass drum kick, it replaces that with a, si- a synthesized bass drum. Um, so you've got it's you know it's still Richard playing the drums, but it's a sample that you're hearing. And I think they actually even did that live during the INC tour as early as that. I think on the on the B stage. Um, so you know, using triggers isn't something that's new for Keen, mm. but using it to trigger these kind of sounds is is something that's pretty. Uh, it's aiming pretty at a, aiming at a different kind of vibe. I, I do wonder if there was you know I'd love to hear a demo of this song and an early one then see how it changed from you know. If it wasn't, you know, a typical Keen song and then with the production it's turned into this huge hip-hop thing or, you know, obviously the vibe would still be there but the production really, really yeah. takes it into a different world, I think. So I think the rhythm section is the really important thing when you're, you're in that first verse. Um, mm. The piano stripped right back, the synth is very subtle in the background and it is basically, it's all about the bass and the percussion. The bass hook is great, yeah. Um, and then it all sort of builds into the chorus and then all those layers that I've just said, you know, the piano and the synth, they come to the fore again and, you know, it all sort of, you know, it comes together for that, that chorus, you know, all of the classic keen elements together with the sort of the, the strange new world, if you like. Yeah, the huge sing-along melody. I mean, I think I said it on the last podcast, but this is up there, survival, you know, somewhere in know, and is it any wonder for, you know, just people shouting along? Yeah, a huge live song, like potentially huge yeah, live yeah, song. yeah, yeah. Um, can't wait, can't wait to see it in arenas. Definitely. Um, I think it's not often you say that, is it? <laughs> yeah. I, I actually think that, I mean, there is a chance that in a small club it could get, you know, it almost might be too big for the venue. But um, what I was going to say that um, what some people might not have known, you know, that that uh, Kanon isn't treated as though he's a passenger here. He gets to swap. He, You know, he gets the second verse. That's really important yeah. to say that um, he gets the first bridge and then the second verse with Tom doing the second bridge having mm. done the first verse so you know that that sort of swapping over it really feels like he's a 50 50 partner in this yeah and obviously he gets his, his his rap later definitely yeah um I, I you know i like that fact um well let's talk about the rap i mean w- what did you think of it it was obviously going to be the most controversial part of the song if we can you know, well i think it's great I, I think it fits the song really well and i think the the important thing about those who you know the the people who might have been um skeptical about it is that the the backing vocals that tom brings to it they're perfectly pitched hmm. um i know the organ at the end of the rap you know the, the 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 last sort of few bars that you know it comes right in at the end and it's cheesy but it works it, it's it's sort of euphoric and really kind of yeah it pushes all the buttons doesn't it yeah uh, definitely you know, it's shamelessly no it's it's but, it's keen's best pop single in such a long time everything sort of comes together and it, it just it works the timing on the on the rap is great as well i mean it's slightly different on the radio edit well um, this is this is something i was going to say is that i think the i don't know i think i'm i've got no qualms about laying into this radio edit because i think it's absolutely fucking incompetent that the um, the rap is basically cut off right in its prime to yeah. save sort of twenty seconds or so. Yeah, as, and, if that, and as if there is somebody who's compiling tracks for a radio station somewhere who's going to be like, oh, f- four minutes and seven seconds. Fuck that. Yeah, you, you wonder, you know, what it takes for people to play these songs, but you know, there you go. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a reason behind it, and people who are obviously much cleverer than us mm. think that it's worthwhile doing. But I think in but Taking away one of the primary selling points of the track, you know, that that it, it all worked well. Yeah, I mean, you know, radio pluggers can think what they like, but at the end of the day, it's the artists who are making the music that's supporting everyone, so, you know, you've got to trust them occasionally. Yeah, let's let's not get started on the, um, the uh, yeah. rapless version. I mean, I mean, the, the worst thing about it, I think, is that it kind of offsets the rap a bit so by about two bars, so, you know, you've got the, in the full version, the way it kicks in kind of c- catches you by surprise because yeah. Ken does sort of two bars of uh, of sort of ad-libbing before he actually kicks off the rap and it feels a lot more kind of blocky uh, in the in the radio edit and it's sort of so it dropped it more in. contrived and you know it's it, it's literally an eight bar thing whereas 
in the original idea, it sounds so silly, but I, it feels more kind of musical because it... it Organic. Ha- it, yeah, exactly. And it has these rises and falls and, and it's, you know, slightly interesting phrasing. So I, I, I think that's, that was, you know, you've lost more than 20 seconds in, in the edit. I think you've lost a lot of the feeling of the rap and, and the interestingness of it, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the instrument, instrumentation is also changed on, on the radio edit as yeah, well, which true. is... Which is uh, which loses the whole thing that you kind of drop down and then build up to this huge, huge chorus, and you don't rises you, and falls. You don't, you don't get this. You don't get this massive crescendo all the way through. I can see one of us drunkenly berating whoever is responsible for that radio edit at some stage in the future if we ever cross paths. Let's look forward to that anyway. <laughs> Beyond the Do you know, I I woke up this morning, it's a lovely day in London, as it has been for, I don't know, the last week or so, and I looked up at the sky, not a cloud to be seen, the deepest blue, and I thought to myself, I've never seen such clear skies. Do you see what I'm leading into here, yeah? That was terrible. Can we just move on quickly? No, no, I I didn't think that was terrible at all, because I genuinely did think that, but... Um, Clear Skies is track four on the record And it's got this sort of I don't know, a, a different vibe To anything that I think they've ever attempted before um, Should we take a quick listen? Yeah, let's I think the, the the most important thing, the the thing that I, mean, I think everyone would have heard this already because it's it's you know it's been on six. Yeah. The the hand claps that run throughout the track. This do you think that's a, a sampled loop throughout? It's not just like someone hammering away at their hands. Yeah. I, I think they only record it one time and then copy <laughs> it. You know, they only have to pay for one clap. Then. Do you think the whole song could be done on a loop like that? I don't know. It'd be, it'd be an interesting way to do it, actually. Sort of live looping like Katie Tunstall and David Ford are known to do. Um. You know, I think the the bass is really prominent um, throughout. Again, I think that's you know a theme again running through the record that the, the bass is hmm. is quite a big element. Whereas it used to be hidden away when it was coming off the laptop, or you know Tim was recording it in the studio. I mean, but hmm. that said, though, I mean this isn't as in your face as the other tracks are. The the, the previous two tracks. This is a, to me. This is a lot more reserved, and it sort of simmers away. The without thing is, it, it crackles with that energy, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't have the same sort of rises and falls that we've talked about in in uh, Stop for a Minute. It just kind of. I was quite surprised actually, because I thought out of this and Stop for a Minute, I thought Stop for a Minute would be a lot more popular with the fans. Whereas this is the one that everyone latched onto and was immediately a fan favorite. It's like the you know the the quiet girl who everybody knows is really hot, but you know she doesn't sort of flaunt it. That that that's one way of putting it, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I think considering that you know it's quite a low key thing, but it's got this this amazing vocal from Tom. The chorus is fantastic, um, and I think the vibraphone. We really need to mention the vibes. Yeah, um, I don't know who's playing them, but the the vibraphone sounds fantastic throughout. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they got someone up there to do that live, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, no, I mean they've had it, they've cool. had a musical saw already, so you know vibraphone's the next logical step, I think. Yeah, and. Let me just say, I think that the sense of storytelling, um, I really wanted to make this point, that compared to a lot of Tim's earlier songs, I think the sense of storytelling is much, much stronger in Clear Skies right. than previously. I, I, I really get the sense that there is a story to be told there, references to, to I don't know, tangibles rather than abstractions, things that mm. we, we've, we've had this conversation with Tim before. And I, if you remember, Tim told me I was talking bollocks. And then wrote Sovereign Light Cafe. And and this song, so I think there's there's this fantastic sense of storytelling and the 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 references to the levees breaking and you know it made me think of New Orleans and with that vibe as well you know that hot mm. I don't know it sounds to me like the sound of a a, a, a humid hot night down in Dust the deep balls. south yeah um it's a I think it's a very very accomplished piece of atmospheric songwriting both in the storytelling and the way it's been produced it's a very very good song. Yeah, I agree with that. For me, it's it's not an amazing track, though. I mean, everyone was ranting about it. I haven't clicked with it in... I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like it, but I haven't fallen in love with it. 
I think something Tim mentioned, you know, years ago now that <laughs> he thinks that great songs often have, you know, can have two choruses. So that, you know, somewhere any we know has um, a simple thing, and then you followed that, you know, amazing chorus up with, and if you have a minute, you know, you got the, the just when you thought you've been to the edge, it pushes you over the edge and gives you a second chorus. I think this song has the potential to be that, but you just don't have the second chorus. To me the chorus sounds like a pre-chorus rather than the main event and it doesn't it's like it's it's like it's building up to something but never quite gets there yeah so i agree that it's atmospheric but it's not the dream keen song that it's not the perfect keen song respectfully i think i i'm a, i enjoy it more than you do but i i don't think we need to argue too much about that i can definitely see where you're coming from cool well let's agree to disagree okay <laughs> Shall um, we, how about we have a little bit of ish indention Andrew, you've got to help yourself. So, that was Ishin Denshin. You've got to help yourself. Lovely. Really? You know what? I like this. I think we disagreed on the last track and we're going to disagree here. I think this is a great pop song. I think it's potentially a great pop song. It possibly was a great pop song when Yellow Magic Orchestra released it. But there's something about this that just doesn't quite sit right with me. And first of all, I really want to make it clear that I think... Um, MC Tigara is absolutely awesome mm-hmm. and I think the vocal that she delivers I, I obviously I don't speak Japanese but mm-hmm. I think her vocal sounds brilliant her voice is really excellent I I'm I can't use enough superlatives to describe how you know I think the vibe to it the the verses is really great and I think it saves the song whereas I don't know there's something not quite right about the choruses really I mean it's it's got that slightly sort of dragged feel that you know a bit lazy, but I, but I love that the kind of unison that you can hear them all together. Yeah, I mean, this, this obviously people won't have heard this, but the, you've got a sort of four part harmony doing the choruses, and you know in the outro it kind of it's almost a cappella, and you can actually literally hear Richard singing, you can literally hear if, Tom singing, you can literally hear Tim singing, you can literally pick out each part. If you wanted to hear Richard singing clearly, this is the track for you because you can hear him very clearly doing one of the main parts in the harmony. It's brilliant. I don't know. I I should also say, I think the... Is it the bells or the vibes that are in this track as well? Oh, there's like a glockenspiel kind of synth. Yeah, that well. sort of thing. I, th- I think that sounds fantastic. You think it's synth? I- I'd imagine so. Um, I think that sounds really good. It's... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to say. I mean, it's kind so, of... So by the, There's elements of the... There's elements of the um, English vocals, which to me sound a little bit... I don't know, cringeworthy. I just... Um, particularly, I mean, there's there's a spoken word bit in the very last, um, sorry, in the very last chorus, which just it makes me cringe my chin off. It's oh, that's in the original though. And this is, a, th- to be honest, this is a fairly faithful cover. I mean, yeah. you can hear the original on on YouTube, but this is almost sp- note note for note. It's pretty much yeah, pretty much there. It hasn't changed too much, but I think that makes it work because at the same time, it sounds quite a lot like Keen. You've got a sort of squelchy bass that Keen have used before. I, I think that squelchy bass is really sort of harsh and quite invasive. Really? I think it's I think it's really, really funky. Mm, no, I just don't I just don't feel it. I, and I, I think the the one word that I wrote down, the very first word gone. that I wrote down in my notes about the, the English um parts is over sincere. You know where you are trying to pay, you know, you're trying to be reverential towards something which yeah. clearly I mean Tim and Jesse both love the track. Right. Um they they said how much they love the Yellow Magic Orchestra. You don't want to fuck up something you love. Right. Um, and I think that sort of leads to this sort of over-sincerity. I humbly disagree. I think I, don't, I think this is, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a faithful cover. It does it justice, and hopefully it's going to bring the song to a wider audience. Yeah, it's... And I should also say that I, it does seem to make sense in the context of the EP. It just... Yeah, it, it lightens the mood. It's, you know, it's, it's the only little, silly little pop song, as, as you know... <laughs> Between you've got there. The between clear skies heavy. and your love, it makes sense. Would I listen to this on its own? Absolutely not. 
Really? No, I don't think so. If it came up on shuffle, I would skip it. But it just, it does seem to work. And I must say, like, of the, I have skipped it more often the more that time has gone on over the last five months. I really? must admit. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a completely sort of sugar-filled, candy kind of track. It would be interesting to see how it works live, really, if they play it live. Sometimes you just want a nice, savoury meal. Every kid wants to give up their sweets sometime. I don't. I, I, I love bouncing around to this. This is this is the bouncing around the room song, and Keen doesn't have a lot of them, to be honest. Um, I think... Th- I cannot imagine there is going to be a track that they will ever record that is going to divide opinion as much as this one. You reckon? Uh, what what could possibly divide opinion more than this? I don't know. Um, I think really that that's what we think of it. Um, I d- we don't want to say yes, it's good. Yes, it's or no, it's bad. Because I, I don't think I'm saying that no, it's bad. I, I'm sure Chris is saying that. Yes, I'm saying it's awesome. yes, it's good. <laughs> it's you're just going to have to listen to this and make up your own mind, which is a terrible basis for a review. But there you go. Um, your love. I don't really know what to, where to start with this because it's it's such a. Whereas we were just talking about Ishindention, which is a uh, it's a diversion from the, the the usual keen music in that you know you've got Japanese in there, um, but you still you know you still have Tom's vocals at the heart of it, and it's still that sort of you know sunny sort of upbeatness to it. It's still identifiably keen. Whereas your love. N- isn't necessarily so. No, it's it's got a very a very different vibe. But at the same time, I still think it's quite recognisable. I think if you cut Tim open, this is what he would sound like. It's that kind of song. I think this is you know Tim through and through, and you know it, the fact that Tom isn't on it is pretty pretty sort of evident in that. And you know it's got mm. quite synth drums as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if Tim was you know credited as you know songwriter producer everything all in one i think this was literally a one-man job i think there is an icy coldness to this i i I, icy is what i've written down several times here i don't know whether it's just because i I listened to this an awful lot during the the really cold weather that we had the the frozen winter that we had over the last sort of you know a couple of months um but i mean getting past all that it does have this really clinical sound and i think it's reflected in the lyrics as well i don't know whether you notice this but the um there's a I think the second verse refers to the chemicals uh reacting, the molecules collide. It's scientific, it's cold, it's clinical, it's I I think the the lyrics and the sound working in perfect harmony. I think this is definitely, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best songs on the album on the EP, sorry. Um t- I mean Tim excels vocally as well, you know. It's the first time we've really heard a Tim lead and and you know he mould and holds his own. Yeah, it's it's the first lead since Sunshine. I think what I've written here is it's the best single track that Keen have put their name to since Atlantic. That's a big statement. Um, and well, let let me just qualify that a bit. I think it's the best album track they put their name to since Atlantic, because I think as we'll come to, I, I think that you know it 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 doesn't to me strike me as a single. Do, do you think that? I'm not sure. I mean, it it could be for someone else, you know, a sort of, you know, a budding solo artist who's just sort of yeah, it's, kicking it's, off their career. That would that'd be a great song for someone. I don't think it would make sense as a keen single, but I think it's an astoundingly good track. And I think oh, I just want to say that the, the vocals we've said are, all, are, are brilliant, suit the track very well. And I mm. don't think that Tom could have done a better job. I don't think a Tom Chaplin vocal would make the song I any mean, better. Like you're saying, it's quite a sort of reserved, cold, quiet song. So you know, there's times when Tom's voice works, and this. You know, no, I imagine I imagine Tim did the demo and they liked that, so I stuck with it. Yeah, the the bass that you know it, it it never deviates and it never stops. It just goes on and drives on and forges ahead. Yeah, it's um it's that sort of song and that 
I know you disagree with me on this, but I think what makes Your Love such a great track is that there's this um, ethereal synth sound that comes in the first bridge. Is that right? Not sure. Um, and it's... When you hear the track, you'll know exactly what I mean. And it's it just sort of echoes the, the, the main melody, and it sounds ghostly and i can't you know i can't quite describe it but it's brilliant it's a really magical track isn't it it's something special about it yeah that there's the, the unusual middle eight where you know everything drops out except for the percussion in the background the the cymbal and um that that laconic guitar solo it's you know you you said clapton-esque yeah, I mean, this is a, it's this kind of very kind of lazy sun, you know, Sunday afternoon sort of guitar solo. I mean, I, I don't know, it's 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 quite unusual. It's not, you know, if you think guitar solo is extravagant or it's not wild like Clear Sky's guitar solo. This is, you know, it's perfectly suited. And I think all the instrumentation is very, it, it's very much suited to the track, however cheesy that might be. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a lot it's, of sort of, you know, after the first chorus, there's a few, you know, kind of cheesy fills, which are very 80s. But that's what suits the track, and I think that doing whatever the track needs, regardless of cool, is is what has made Keane so great mm. of late. And I think just another word about the the lyrics themselves, which you know Tim recording his own lyrics, I think, is a novelty that I, th- I think we both enjoy. That there's this wistfulness to the vocal. This mm. um, "Do you come here still?" is delivered in uh, you know a way without any irony, and it just sounds. Right, there's this sort of the sadness that manifests itself without any any sort of pity. Um, it's sort of uh, almost defiant in a way. I think, you know, with, with Tim writing for Tom so often and you kind of get him speaking on behalf of Tom or, you know, writing words for someone else. Whereas this is, you know, by Tim for Tim. So that's what makes it feel quite personal, I think, in a way. It's it's really sincere without being try hard. And that, yeah. is, a, that is an amazing feat, really. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's got a bit... I don't know, it, I just can't get my head around it in a good way. It's, it's got this sort of intimacy, but yet the big throw your arms wide open chorus. It's a, it's a magnificent song. It really, it is. really is that good. I think we should move on before we start wetting ourselves. <laughs> I've already wet myself, Chris. <laughs> oh, yeah, th- th- I, th- I thought we were having a beautiful moment there, and then it just went all vulgar. And speaking of vulgar, <laughs> should we listen to the Rocky theme tune, Chris? Let's. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to gush on two songs back to back like this. What a fucking tune. This is a great song, isn't it? I mean, when we listened to these tracks, we didn't actually know which was going to be the single. So we were wondering whether it would be this, whether it would be Stop for a Minute, whether it would be Your Love, you, Chris, what would happen. Chris and I fought fucking tooth and nail over this. Like Chris's opinion from the very start was that Stop for a Minute should and would be the single. Obviously, Chris was right about which which was the single. I've maintained from the very start that Looking Back was the best track on the record. It was, well, it was the most poppy track on the record. It was the single. It would be an enormous hit. It doesn't have that enormous whoomph that Stop for a Minute has, but that's, you know, that's not to it, its discredit. That's just, it's it's a different thing Ke- for a different purpose. Keen are not a band that has that massive whoomph. I disagree. Somewhere only we know. <laughs> Somewhere only we know that that is a you know that that is a, a track which is a slow burner, but it's it's you know it's still a, a fantastic track. Whereas I think is it any wonder has the whoomph? Um, Stop for a minute, perhaps has a little bit of the whoomph factor. This one, this track, has the whoomph and the staying power, and it's it's a stunning single. It would be a stunning single, I think. I mean, it's got a very, very funky bass drum, and it's got that, that whole kind of urban thing down to a T, hasn't it? The wind chimes and everything, and, and the funky bass. The That's, thing is, it is there. it is more identifiably keen than any other track on this record. I genuinely what, I, I, I genuinely mean that. What, with the little CP70 jingles in, in between and things? The, the big piano chords in that first verse, You anybody would hear yeah. that in Tom's voice, and they'd say, That's keen there, right there. Yeah, I mean... On this one, I suppose, in Stop for a Minute, you've got Kanan actually doing singing, but in in this one, it's more kind of rapping over the top. This is kind of more what I expected. 
if you, you know, this is what I would imagine if Keane took a song to Kanye West, this is the kind of thing he would do with it, mm. you know, going over the top. So this strikes me as a very old song that Kanan has embellished upon. Um, I think his backing vocals in the chorus add an awful lot to it because, you know, I, I don't know, the, the impression that I have with him on this track is that he sort of sat there as, you know, like a, a heckler, a commentator at the side who is adding his own sort of thoughts on the track as it as it sort of moves along, you know? So, I mean, like, in his backing vocals in the chorus are just basically him, you know, repeating it. It's like, looking back, yeah, yeah, looking back. You know, you, you know what I mean. That's probably the worst impression of Kanan that has ever been recorded anywhere in the world. I think so. Save at that moment. <laughs> but no, more seriously though, I think the um, the rap is the the centerpiece. The actual rap itself. Hmm. Um, these comments throughout. I don't know. It just it feels like it. It just feels so right. It's just. There could be a great video for this. There's one floating around on YouTube, I think. I don't know if we can mention that. But, I mean, I think they've got it exactly right. That kind of city, the Manhattan skyline, and, you know, I, I've glimmering got a, at night. That's... I've got an idea for a video that you and I could do for this. And I've had this idea for a long time. And I think it would be the most awesome video. I Maybe we'll do Let's it. Let's talk about it sometime. anyway. But I, th- I think that, you know, it's we've said cinematic obviously it's got the rocky theme in so it's going to feel cinematic and mm. not in the same way that back in time does this um it's well let's let's be a bit more technical let's talk about some actual you know some of the instrumentation because um i think the there's a theremin or a musical saw or something along those lines or maybe just there? a synth with glide on it or something who knows it sounds like a theremin and throughout the um throughout the the verses you have this in the background that you know the constantly acts adding you know adding texture I think it's most noticeable during um, the rap section, the very, very first rap section there. Mm. The the other thing I want to mention is the brass. Yeah. I think the brass arrangement is staggeringly good. Um, throughout the verses, it's all in the background. It just feels... I don't want to say it just feels right, because this feels like the worst critique ever, but it it brings the uh, that, that rocky riff of the, the, the that brass motif that you have in the intro, mm. and it brings it all the way through the song, so it never feels tacked on. Yeah. It feels s- integral. Canon feels integral. It's like this big mix of everything. It feels quite tight, doesn't it? Yeah. I've what I what I have written here is that I could listen to the last ninety seconds of this and nothing else from the record and I would still be happy with the EP. <laughs> the <laughs> the outro is just brilliant. I've it's, got to say though. That's the one thing I don't like about this and stop for a minute that they don't end in a proper way. They fade out. And that's, that, that's I always think that's a bit lazy. Mm. Maybe that's the, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the, the only thing. The pop and, you know, urban fade outs. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just a minor point. I, I've got to agree with what you said, though. I mean, this it's a, it's a great track, which... The, the fact that you've got your love and looking back. Next to each other. That, it's... Okay. So, okay. Such, I'm, I'm go. Tr- such different tracks and yet such incredibly strong tracks together i have to say flat out this these are the best two back-to-back tracks on any keen record ever produced better than somewhere only we know into bend and break yes better than atlantic into is it any wonder oh yeah definitely better than i'm gonna catch you out you know (laughs) you haven't told me anything into perfect symmetry those don't go into each other or do they? Yes, they do. Um, but no, no. I still, I still maintain my line. I think these two are brilliant back to back. Fair enough. Um, I don't know. I can't wait for people to hear this because it's, it's just, it's a fantastic track. It fits so well with the rest of the EP, and I think it's it's been sequenced really well. That this is, this deserves to be the penultimate track. You if, reckon? Yeah, I think this is the the big finish before you get the you know the the coda. You know, to me, it's, it, I would have swapped this with Back in Time on the track listing somehow. Uh, it would have made it a bit more kind of front-loaded, but to me, that would have made more sense. Oh, not ideal having the two Canaan tracks back-to-back, but... What's the track called, Chris? Looking back, but... There you go. But, you know, I suppose it is quite wistful in, in the whole... The whole vibe of it is, is, you know, this kind of melancholic thing, as we said. Oh, do you think that the the fact that it's sort of melan it has that melancholy element, it's sort of a minor chord jam. That's the reason why it's it wasn't the single, it wasn't sort of big and bold enough. Maybe I mean, who knows what these people how they make their decisions? Maybe they just tossed a coin. I, okay, just let me sum this up. This track is fucking great, but most people have heard it already. I think this this track is is brilliant, brilliant. 
Cool. Shall we listen to the one that everyone's already heard, uh, you know, months and months and months ago? So that's my shadow. I think uh, I'm. I think I might frustrate some people. I think when we spoke to Richard, I mean, we'll hear this soon when we release the next part of our interview. But I think we kind of annoyed Richard a little bit. See, I think this is the opposite of Ishindention. Now, in this case, I reckon as a single track on its own, in the right circumstances, this this works. It's, it's it works really well. Yeah. In the context of Night Train, mm-hmm. I don't think this works. I, I think it's noticeably out of place. And it seems almost like, a, you know, a bit of an anachronism. You know, that when when you hear the whole of the, the EP in a row, this feels like it's been tacked onto the end, which, you know, obviously we know that it has been. I've got to agree with you, I'm afraid. It, it does sort of, it doesn't quite sit in the same way. And and with it being quite a slow burner, after I don't know, at the end of the album, it's not really what you need. I think the, I think it was the percussion that did it for me. The percussion with the, the tambourine and I don't know. It it doesn't feel to me like any of the other tracks. And I th- I, I mm. put that down to the percussion. Um, it's this big stadium style, you know, that electric guitar anthemic finish. Everyone sort of going for the big loud ending. That quiet, loud dynamic that you'd get at a U2 show mm. or, I don't know, Definitely. Coldplay really sort of specialised in Snow Patrol or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's very old-fashioned in that sense. And I think considering what's gone before, which was a, you know, you set seven tracks that are a genuine showcase of the band's spirit of adventure. Yeah. For us to end, end it on, on this sort of note, a track which is a very, very good anthem. It's but it's not pushing any boundaries, is it? It's doing what you two have done, what what Snow Patrol have done. But the thing is, I don't think that's a problem per se, just not on this record. I, I would have no problem with Keen producing something like this. If this had sat on Perfect Symmetry, yeah. I reckon this would have, you know, I, th- I think that record might have been more successful. Possibly. I don't know about more successful, but I can I see what you mean. It, sits, it would definitely sit better on the yeah. perfect symmetry than than on here somehow. Yeah, okay, but perhaps it's unfair for me to say that it would, you know, it would have made perfect symmetry into a world-beating record, but I, you know, I just don't think it works in this case, and it should have been on perfect symmetry in that case. You, you mentioned before about it being the opposite of Ishindention. How, how would you mean? Well, what I mean is that I, I think that Ishindention doesn't work on it as a track in its own right. Okay. I think it can work in the context of the EP, whereas this... As a single track coming up on, let's say if this was on a compilation or a soundtrack or something like that, I think it would work. But Mm. in the context of this record, it doesn't. On paper, you'd say it's a great closer. It starts quiet, builds to the big finish, and you have that nice climax. In in the same way that House Lights opens things up, this closes, you know. Yeah. Lee, you know, this is the great... Um, last song in the set. Yeah, exactly. And I think, on, as I said, on paper, it, it's, it would be a great idea. And when you actually put it in the context of the record, it only just about works. Yeah. You know, it, it scrapes over the line where it should, you know, zoom through. If they were to play Night Train live, you know, track one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, this that'd be great. Yeah, I, th- I think that would probably work because you know, in in the live environment, it would just, it would just, it would come across well. But on on the record, it's just, it's so it's so close to being absolutely perfect, but not quite there. And I don't want people to go away from this thinking that we are sat here slating my shadow because we're not. It just we're talking more about sort of sequencing and you know things working with each other. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I. That said, I'm still I'm not a massive, massive fan of this. It, it you know, you said about Ishindention feeling a bit kind of over sincere, and this is to me, this is a bit of kind of you know, like you're saying, it's the the indie stereotype where everyone's banging their heads at the end, and it it just seems a bit kind of not contrived, but you know, they I can know, do, maybe they can do better than a that. Bit, yeah, they can do better yeah. than that. 
I mean, that's not to say it's a bad track. It, I don't know. Maybe this is a good way to sort of wrap up the the Night Train things. It's a it's a very mixed mixed set of songs, and and this song yeah. leaves us puzzling, you know, and scratching our heads and wondering how Let, it all hangs together. I think let's let's take a step back and let's look at these eight tracks as a collection of songs, and I I think that. More so than anything else they've re- they've released, you have to look at this as a collection of songs which... Let's look back at 2004 when Hopes and Fears came out, and that was a record that was years in the making, that they agonised over the sequencing hmm. of what would go where, what would be the B-sides, what would make the cut, all that sort of thing. Hmm. And this feels much more to me, much more loose, that... If someone told me that the track listing had been worked out on a on a napkin or something, going from one show to the next, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's but that's not partly the nature of of the recording that you know, Hopes and Fears was recording a very short per- period of time in the same place, whereas this was recorded all over. Even the you know, Richard was telling us that you know, on one track you might have been recorded on three or four continents almost. Yeah. And you know, I don't want that to come across as a criticism because I think. I think basically what the CP shows is that when, let's say you you don't have to, you don't have to do something. They didn't have to release the CP. They they could have quite justifiably had this year off, um, not done a major album in 2010, gone and recorded in 2011, mm. and not put anything out there. But I think when you have no obligations, that's when the most interesting stuff happens. Mm. I think when you have nothing to lose, that's when you produce something like this, which is a collection of your best work, not necessarily your most coherent work, Mm. but I think a collection of your most interesting sounds. So is that, is that to say it's not going to appeal to man on the street, but for keen aficionados, it's going to have the most interesting moments and the bits where you go, Oh look, this is what happened. You know, if you brought a rap in or a Japanese, a Japanese singer, no, because I think what we are, what we are hearing here, is a distillation of the sounds that the band themselves most like to hear. It's not. It'd be easy to see this as kind of a freak show, or you know, just you know, oh, let's do some weird, you know, kind of let's get some crazy things in, and you know, but actually, it is the songs themselves are coherent, and you know, they're done for the love of it, as you're saying. Yeah, and. <laughs> There are some moments on this record which are bigger peaks, higher peaks than anything that you would have heard on Perfect Symmetry. I think that your love, I've said it before, I, I think people should take that to their hearts, that it's its its a magnificent piece of music. Mm. Um, the two Canon tracks, very brave, because I think the, the risk... The risk in everything that Keen have done, it's not the risk here is not them bringing the rapper on and changing the the sound because I think some people would say that it's risky in that sense, but I think some people would say that it is cynical of them to think that they can you know introduce this element and it will change what they're about to the people who don't like them. I think that was the bigger risk. The people would see it as some kind of cynical ploy, and you know the music that we've got out of it, you can hear that it it's definitely not the case. You have Kano really as an integral part of two fantastic tracks. Yeah, it's it's not just bolted on. I mean, like like I was saying, it's not just let's throw some some weird things into the mix. And it's done because the songs need these aspects to them. It's it's not just tacked on in any way. And there's quite a lot of extra people involved with this record, which is which again sort of pushes the boundaries a bit more. You know, we talked about Fraser T. Smith's production. We talked about the. The brass on looking back, obviously the two guest vocalists. We talked about maybe a vibraphone player. Mm. All these things. See, it's know. it's funny that at a time when Mount Desolation, which is um, you know has been talked about as you know Tim Rice Oxley and Friends, this genuinely is Keen and Friends. Hmm. This is a, a genuine collaborative effort in many ways, and it it's much the better for it. It's a richer experience for it. If anything, can I, I? I think I should just say that I think if there's one person who I think maybe feels marginalised on this record, it might be Tom. Yeah, I know what you mean. Somehow, um, I think if this is very much Tim's keen record, and to a lesser extent Richard's keen record, that I, I feel as though there is a bit more of their input, which is quite ironic considering that Under the Iron Sea was an album which was created largely in Tom's absence. But this, to me, feels a lot more like the driving forces haven't come from him, but from the rest of the band. 
anyway, I think really when when we're coming down to summarising it, what you have here is a collection of tracks which might not make sense to a lot of people as one element. But here you you have got individually such brilliant songs that it doesn't matter. It's it's a collection I think that really, I mean, has to be has to be heard as the eight of them on one hand they don't fit together but on the other hand it's hard to imagine these songs existing in Keane's universe without each other mm. it's the distillation of a tour a live show um, the experience of the last 18 months I guess and it really does come across like that and to manage to wrap that up in, in a whole eight tracks is, is quite something I think I think anybody who has followed the band since 2004 they might not like the EP in the way that they've liked their other records. But I think everybody needs to experience it. Definitely, yeah. And I hope that they will enjoy it at the highest points as much as you and I have. So, that's our take on this year's biggest Keen release. Although we're sure it's in your diary already, Night Train's out on May the 10th, or May the 7th in Ireland, or... Internationally, it varies, really. I think, you know, in Germany, it's the 7th. Sometime, possibly after May the 10th, or maybe slightly before. But now you've heard our views on it. And really, I think we need to say this. I think your opinions count for far more than ours. And frankly, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, obviously we've got two varying opinions on quite a lot of the tracks here, but it'd be interesting to see how they stack up. Everybody's going to have a different idea about this. And we'd love to know. I mean, are we are we in the right area? Are we way off the mark? I mean, we we don't know because, I mean, we, we've hardly been able to chat about this record at all. So please do get in touch with us via our Twitter. Yep, there's all sorts of great stuff on there um, between episodes where we just sort of amuse ourselves, slag each other off, and we'd love <laughs> to keep the conversation going on there. Our username is Beyond INC, so follow us today. You can also drop us an email via mailbox at beyondtheinc.com. But that is it from the special preview of Night Train. Whether it's an album or an EP to you, I think Chris and I both know what it is to us. Yep, it's a great and varied record worthy of the band. Goodbye. <laughs>